0: Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys, Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Bellicone. And tonight we are recording episode 56, and we are covering the top five films of 1989. If you go back in the past two weeks, you'll see that we covered 1969. And then 1979 we recorded last week. Uh, We got a lot of good feedback on that so far, Um, and the number of people downloaded it, so thank you for that. Uh, as we move into 1989, next week we'll be covering 1999, uh, in the last episode of the year, and then we might have one special shorter episode as well, um, coming out before the end of the year. So, Frank, 1989, this is, well, you were alive in 1979, because you're older than I am. Probably not watching too many movies. No. But this is this will be the first decade that we covered <clears throat> so far where, like, you're what, like 13 at this point? Is that
1: right? Uh, 14.
0: 12. 12?
1: Okay. I was born in 77, so. I just think you're I guess I just think you're old. You're not wrong. Um What are you what are your memories of this year just in general? Oh man. I mean, this is like Ghostbusters 2 and Back to the Future 2 and Batman and Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Um this is the year that the movie theater opened in Elkton again, yeah. after us not having a movie theater for like a decade at that point, almost. Right, Elkton Movies 4. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I saw Batman in the theater, and it was one of the first, first movies since the early 80s I'd actually seen in a movie theater. um yeah no know. It's was Batman a summer release? To, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I thought think so. so. Um, I don't know, I have a lot of nostalgia for 89. I mean, this is, like, the heyday of, you know, I'm still, like, young enough where I'm playing with toys and watching cartoons, and this is the heyday of, like, I mean, most of, like, the things that I think our group of friends and our age group is, like, really nostalgic for, so, like, the NES and, like, really good, like, after school and Saturday morning cartoons and... It's G.I. Joe and Transformers and Masters of the Universe and all that stuff. Um and really good movies this year too. Like from that, I had not seen anything that's on this list in nineteen eighty nine in like, you know, in the contemporaneously in the year. Um, but you know, Love Back to the Future too when I was a kid and Ghostbusters too, and you know, I mean I was pretty obsessed with Batman um when it came out, so Yeah, I think everybody was obsessed with Batman that year. Yeah. I mean, I had, like... I was not one for wearing, like, graphic t-shirts at that Mm -hmm. point. But I had, like, a Bat Symbol t-shirt, and I had a t-shirt that was, like, the Joker... Same here. ...doing something, I don't know. Or maybe it said something. Um, This is also... This is the first year of The Simpsons, I think, maybe. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So I remember... Um,
0: I think 88 is when Tracy Allman, the, they start doing that interstitial material. Yeah.
1: During Tracy Allman. So I think 89 is the year that it debuts. I remember watching um, the early episodes of The Simpsons. Me and my dad would watch them. My brother was still really young at this point, like five, I guess, in 89. Um, that was another thing, too, that kind of like extended my knowledge of... like childhood where like when i would, was kind of like grown out of like childhood stuff my brother was just starting to get into you know cartoons and all that stuff so it let me kind of like have more of a knowledge of like that 90s um but yeah i don't know it so it's a good year i guess
0: it's a really schizophrenic year though in terms of movies like there it's it things is. are like all over the place like it, there's comedies there's blockbusters there's art house films like it's just kind of so, yeah, it's a really weird time. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's...
1: The strange thing about it, when I was looking at the list, like, trying to figure out what the top five were, is there's a lot of movies that came out this year that if oh, you would have asked me, like, a month ago, I would have thought came out much later. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like, like My Left Foot and Dead Poets Society, I always think about as being, like, in the 90s. Yeah. Um, I think When Harry Met Sally is this year, too, which feels like it's much later to me. Yeah, for some reason I knew Harry, When <clears throat> Harry Met Sally. I got... I don't I don't think we ever talk about that, but you know it is
0: that I have like a weird thing for years. Like yeah. I remember and it's just I think from reading like the Leonard Molden guy and that kind of stuff like so many times that like I usually know a year <clears throat> that a movie came out. But yeah, yeah Dead Poet Society for some reason in my mind, I think ninety
1: one as opposed to like nineteen eighty nine. It it just feels like a nineties movie. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um Bill and Ted, too. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I would have guessed Bill and Ted was this year, but... But there's a couple of them,
0: like, I look at, like... I think, like, The Abyss, and I actually think 87, as opposed to 89. Yeah, I actually
1: thought The Abyss was much earlier than this, too. <clears throat> um, I mean,
0: it was a good year. Yeah, so let me just, like, run some things by you then. You've already mentioned a few of these, but... um, Things that could possibly be on this list and aren't. So I'll start with Glory. What are your thoughts on Glory overall? I
1: think Glory is a fine movie. Um, I don't know that I love Glory as much as some other people. Like I think Glory is a really good performance and it's just kind of a, I don't know, maybe like I have too high of a standard for war movies and like what they should be. But, um, you know, Denzel is like, that's his, Breakout performance, I would say. Like he's really great in that
0: movie. Indiana uh, Jones: The Last Crusade.
1: I like Last Crusade a lot. Like I think that Last Crusade was unfairly maligned up until Crystal Skull, which kind of like allowed Last Crusade to be elevated into being like a reputable part of the Indiana Jones right. franchise. But people did not like Last Crusade that much when I was a kid. I remember. Yeah, um, I, I, th- I, I think
0: it's obviously the weakest out of the first three. It is.
1: So, I liked Last Crusade a lot because I had the Lucasfilm, or LucasArts, um, adventure game Mm -hmm. uh, for my computer, like, that was, like, in, like, King's Quest style, but you played Indiana Jones, and you had to go around and, like, solve all the puzzles, and Mm -hmm. so I had a, I guess, like, a more of a connection to that storyline because of that, like, playing through it. Yeah. I also like the... I mean, it's kind of silly now. I mean, I guess there's always supernatural stuff in Indiana Jones, but the whole Grail quest thing is, like, maybe a little over the top. That That's the thing I like about it least, probably. Yeah. yeah. But I still think it's a fine movie. Yeah, there's
0: some really iconic stuff in that. Yeah.
1: We named the dog Indiana.
0: Right. Yeah, there's, like, that, there's a lot of that stuff. Like, there's, um, like, the stuff that the end, even, even the stuff when he's going for the Grail, like, when he has to, like spell out the name of God like when he's walking and stuff like that like uh across like the you know bricks and everything like there right. there's a, the leap of faith part like all that kind of like quest like
1: stuff is really cool uh sex lies and videotape I don't really care about that movie <clears throat> um I think that movie was considered important at the time I remember like mm-hmm. I I always like, knew that movie existed for some reason, but I I don't really see anything special in it. Yeah. It's uh, just not my thing. Born on the Fourth of July? Um, That's another movie that... I, it's just fine. You know, it's a really good performance and just kind of a mediocre movie, like, around it. Where, I do, mean, you th- where do you think that ranks in Cruz's performances? Like, all time? Yeah. Um, Top five? Maybe. That's that's tough. I think Magnolia is like his clear number 1 yeah, performance. Sure. Um I actually really like him a lot in most of the Mission Impossible movies, so that kind of skews for yeah, me because yeah. I I think he's Well, if you just
0: count that as like one thing like a, as a franchise, like it's the same character, so Yeah. <clears throat> um I think Collateral's really high on his list of Yeah,
1: Collateral's fine. Uh yeah, I guess maybe it's top five. I hate giving it that much credit because I really don't right. particularly care for sure. it. But sure. well, it is I'm, a really good performance. Yeah. Uh,
0: so you mentioned a couple of these, but what do, how do you feel about My Left Foot? Uh,
1: My, My Left Foot's a really good movie. I just... It's... That's another one where that's an amazing performance. and yeah, absolutely. Just kind of a boring movie to me. Like, yeah. I just don't... There's nothing... I don't get invested in that movie beyond him, which I mean, I guess is like, he's the whole point of the movie, but Mm yeah, I don't know. It's fine. Parenthood. Oh, I like Parenthood a lot. Yeah. Parenthood is one of my favorite uh, comedies of the 1980s. I think it's um, one of the best looks at like middle-class life, even though like looking back on it, it didn't represent like my life at all. Right. But I guess maybe like I always liked it as like an idealized version of, this is what like, you know the American experience is. Mm-hmm. That's like every friggin' eighties like family comedy. Like they're all like wealthy and right. They have like big houses and they all live in like the suburbs of some like big city. I I don't know. <clears throat> Field of Dreams, I don't really care for Field of Dreams. It's fine. It, it's 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 a decent movie. War of the roses. Uh, I don't think I like that movie. I haven't seen War of the Roses probably since like nineteen ninety three, right. so I really have no opinion on it. War of the Roses good movie.
0: Um, you did not like that movie as of last week. You didn't okay, like it, so, um I'm losing track here because of my chicken scratch. When Harry Sally you mentioned, but like, what what are your feelings I don't about, care about You movie. don't care about the movie. Okay. Yeah. I don't um, care
1: about that's that's if, if there's a subgenre of film that doesn't count as film, it's fucking romantic comedies, especially from like 1987 to 19 like 99. We did an episode on romantic comedies, though. Oh, and, I know it. And and
0: I want to say what, at least one of the one of those romantic comedies was from that time period.
1: Yeah, I love my best friend's wedding. Yeah. Mm. Okay. That movie transcends being romantic comedy, though. Like. <laughs> Right when Harry met Sally, set this template that people could not get away from for like uh, like fifteen years. Uh And it's just like it's really, it's just not real to me. I don't know. I just I can't invest myself in it because it's just so lame. I guess I don't know. Like I don't care about I don't I don't care about those characters ever. I don't care. I don't know. I just don't care.
0: I think it's possible you might be um,
1: aromantic. No. <laughs> I like romance like when it matters.
0: Okay.
1: I like the, like, like Embrace. You body. like
0: comedy when it matters too. Right, but that's right. very, that's very seldom. <laughs> right. <clears throat> um, there was another one I wanted to How ask many you about. situational?
1: I don't know. I just, <laughs> Oh, Driving Miss Daisy. No, who cares about that movie anymore? Okay. I have no interest in that movie. That's another one that's like, that's that's the movie that was, like, the critical darling because it was, like, it touched on subject matter that he didn't really, I don't know, like, especially, I guess, in the 80s, like, that we still weren't really talking about. Right. And it's two good performances, you know, but... Three, because Dan Aykroyd's really good in that, too. Yeah, you're right. But, I mean... Yeah, it's really good performances in it. Like, it's, um... Oh, what's his name? It's Jessica Tandy and um Morgan Freeman. Yeah, and like everybody, like always, looks at those two performances, and they're they're good. It's mm-hmm. it, it's a good movie. It's fine. It's yeah. just I don't think it's the like amazing film that it was made out to be in eighty nine. So I know you like Uncle
0: Buck because it was on your top five fish, fish out, of out of water, water comedies. Water comedies yeah. Our only comedy episode, right? Huh. And um, where would Uncle Buck rank? roughly in the the, like 1989
1: for you oh my god top 15 no (laughs) jesus no top 20 i'd have to look that's that's that 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 would be bold to put uncle buck in the top 20 (laughs) okay films of 1989 okay i mean you got the top five that we're gonna do Mm -hmm. i don't know there's i off the top of my head i can name like Back to the Future 2, Last Crusade, right. um, The Abyss. Like, half the
0: things I just said. Right, everything,
1: everything you said is a better movie than Uncle Buck. <laughs> okay. Even the ones I don't like are right. still, like, objectively a better film. Is
0: The Burbs a better comedy than Uncle Buck? Yeah. Yeah, okay. The Burbs is a good movie. Yeah.
1: You're always trying to push The Burbs because you love The Burbs. And I, like, I don't know, like, you always, like, like make it seem like I don't like The Burbs. Like, I like The Burbs. I keep saying The Burbs. Say The Burbs right. again, yeah. <laughs> Um, someday, someday I'm going to figure out a way
0: to talk about that movie. It might be one of the most pivotal comedies of my life.
1: Top five sitcom horrors of all time. What the hell is sitcom horror? Situational comedic horror. Okay. Saturday the 14th. There's one. <laughs> you you watched that recently. You hated it. It's, yeah, it's, it's not that great anymore.
0: I didn't hate it. I just. No, you really talk shit on that movie, Frank. It was tough to watch. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I I have really good memories of
1: that movie. I know man. I loved it. That's You're why right. I was so excited. Sure. It was on um, Prime, and I was like, "Oh man, I'm gonna watch <clears> this movie." And then, yeah, just shit all over my childhood. I
0: think you try to be nicer when we're on the podcast sometimes. Sometimes, because like like a lot of these movies like had been brought up in the past few weeks, and like you've like just said really awful things about because them. And then- I
1: I understand that like other people like them, and I'm it's not. Oh, so you're you're not you're trying not to like offend or I'm like, trying not to shit on somebody else's like opinions, even though they're bad, right or wrong. Isn't <laughs> is, okay? I mean, every isn't isn't the whole point of like this is to, like to is the is to give your opinion, my opinion, right about movies that I love, typically, All right, right, right. You're always trying to get me to talk about shit that I hate. <laughs> Trying to make trying 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 try and drag <laughs> controversial <laughs> opinions out of me or something. That's all right. Any more from that year? Uh, more of the Roses is a good movie. Did we talk about say anything? Say anything? Almost made the list.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a really good movie. Oh, and the, so also did the the cook the thief. Um, yeah, the wife and her lover almost the made the, the thief, list, right? Wife and her lover. Yeah, it's a good movie. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Um, So, number five on your list is The Killer. It's directed by John Woo, starring Chow Yun-Fat. Sally Yi and Danny Lee has a 98% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and 92% from audiences. Tell us a little bit about the movie and what you like about it so much. Uh,
1: So, the movie follows um, Chow Chow Yun-Fat playing the titular killer. Um, Jeffrey in the dubbed version... Um, He's contract assassin for the Akaza or Triad or whatever they are. Um, during his last, his purported last job, he ends up blinding a cocktail singer accidentally, like during a shootout, um, and agrees to take one last job so he can have the money to help her pay for the expensive surgery she needs to repair her cornea so she can see again. Um, that's like the basic premise of the movie. Uh, there's a younger, like mob boss that's kind of screwing him over and wants to kill him. Um, so the majority of the movie is him like basically on the run from the cops and on the run from, um, the mob boss's goons and everybody's like getting in shootouts with him. Um, but eventually he forms a, a bond of friendship with, uh, detective Lee, um, who's the main cop that's after him. Um, and they end up. Basically having, like, a Wild Bunch-esque, like, shootout at the end in the church where they fend off, like, all the bad guys, um, henchmen. Um, it's not the first, like, gunfu John Woo movie, but it's the first that's, like, that really pushed him into, like, the, I don't know, like I guess, like, cultural awareness, Holly- awareness in Hollywood, um, that would lead to him making, like, you know, Broken Arrow and Face Off and whatnot. Sure. Um... And also influenced a bunch of young directors at this point, like, especially, um, people like, uh, Tarantino influenced quite a bit by John Woo. Um, some other Asian directors who would go on to be like big action directors, um, and influenced, uh, like the RZA. So there's a lot of like, Mm -hmm. um, in the production, especially of I think it's Liquid Swords that uses the cuts from the killer. Um, But yeah, just, it's... The choreography of the gunfights is amazing. Um, It takes... Basically, the blueprint that was established by Peckinpah in the Wild Bunch and raises it to an an almost superhuman extreme um, in the terms that these guys are... What's the line like? You give a man a gun, he's Superman. Give him two, and he's God, God. or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's the thing. It's like these guys are like doing like jumps and flips and shooting like the bad guys at the same time. And it's just it's it's really it's really badass to watch and really like beautifully shot too. Because um, Wu has a great eye for framing and for like how to set up an action scene mm-hmm. where it feels impactful. Um, and is able to slow the action down to almost like a precious, I don't know, like minutiae and then speed it up to where it's like super rapid fire. But, um, I find it interesting that like, we're talking about the wild bunch a few weeks ago, we were talking
0: about that. And I was talking about how the slow-mo now that and Paul uses kind of annoys me a little bit and it's not as effective as I thought it was when I was younger. i'm assuming i guess i saw that before probably john woo is my guess uh, but this didn't doesn't annoy me at all this his use of slow-mo and i think it's because he he makes it uh, there's a beauty to it right it's like you're watching ballet when you're watching john Woo, right it. where it's just something that it adds grace where I don't think there's any grace added in how Peck and Paul doesn't necessarily there's it's
1: just basically overly dramatic in the way that Peck and Paul does it Peck and paw's kills feel heavy like there's a gravity mm-hmm. to Peck and like having someone get shot whereas in in in, in John Wu's movies the majority of them especially like his Asian language or Mandarin language ones. There's a weightlessness to everything. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, where they get shot and, like, there's blood, but the body just kind of, like, flies off screen or quickly, like, flops to the ground. And it's not... It's romanticizing the beauty of the movement that leads to the bullet as opposed to the, like, almost, like, fetishizing the bullet hitting the body in the aftermath of that, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So it's like the... The prelude as opposed to the aftermath, right. I guess, maybe. Right. Um, and it's these elegant guys are usually dressed really nice and mm-hmm. have like, a, you know, like a dancer's grace kind of when they're moving around. Um, yeah. Done to greater effect, I think, in Hard Boiled. We were talking about that off air a little bit, and I think you agree with that. Yeah, I do. Um, I think Hard Boiled out of his, like, Mandarin language movies is superior. Um, yeah. And better tomorrow too, which is a really good movie. That's the yeah better better tomorrow too is the movie that um Clarence is watching in a right true romance, mm-hmm. um, or I guess Alabama is watching it when Clarence comes back. Um, but hugely influential on the films that came after it, and still like a, a fun movie to watch, still entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the plot's a little too. A little too much nostalgia for like the heyday of like when these gangsters and cops were honorable and now they're just kind of like weak-willed and craven and I don't know like how I, I feel about that anymore but um still still a good movie very difficult to find though to watch
0: yeah it, it was I, I was surprised I had to
1: resort to um methods I don't like to resort to like right. in order to find it yeah um, I bought it again off ebay so right uh, even though I think I've owned this movie now, this is probably the fourth time. Because I definitely owned it on VHS twice, and yeah. I know I've owned it on DVD at least once. Yeah, I used to have it on DVD. Wasn't there a two pack or something
0: of The Killer and Hardboiled? Yeah, and Hardboiled. Yeah, I think I had that.
1: Um, that two pack, and then there's a three pack of all three Better Tomorrow films. Right. Even though The Last Better Tomorrow is directed by Sweetheart and on um,
0: mm-hmm. Woo. Speaking of that idea with the, the, the Honorable Yakuza. You you see there there's that really great scene where his, what's his friend's name? Do you remember
1: the Dumbo? Oh no, you're talking about um Stanley or Sydney or whatever they what, call him in the yeah uh, Jeffrey's
0: friend yeah like in the Yakuza like, the guy
1: that's his um his agent basically yeah.
0: So when he when they're trying to get him get him to give up Jeffrey's location right
1: that is really and there's that
0: uh, they beat him down and you know there's a the whole stuff about like you know we're
1: gonna make you like a dog or whatever. Um. Sometimes uh, being a dog is preferable to being a man.
0: Right. So
1: that whole scene, like the,
0: again, like kind of like the, the grace under which he just takes the beating in order and, and protects Jeffrey. Right. I mean, it has to be influence uh, on watching it this time. I realized on the Alabama scene when Alabama is getting beat in True Romance. Yeah. Like, it feel, it, it, when you watch it, it's like, even with the music playing in the background,
1: it feels like the exact same scene. Right. Tarantino was in love with, with these movies. Yeah. Like, and he yeah. was one of the earliest proponents of John Woo. And one of the reasons why Woo was able to come and break into Hollywood and, like, you know, be a director here. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, Tarantino will steal shamelessly from, like, anyone, including... um. That opening title music, I think Tarantino steals for some part of Kill Bill. Um, But I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's, there's something like wrong minded about the whole idea that these are somehow good men who just do a bad job. I mean, you know, Jeffrey is a freaking cold blooded assassin, even though Mm -hmm. he's not willing to kill like innocents or children or put like people in harm's way. The opening scene, he murders, what, like, probably, like, 15, 16 people? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, one of the reasons why it's number five on the list instead of, like, much higher, because aesthetically, I I, I think it's one of the best-looking movies on the list, and I, I really enjoy it, so. Mm. Uh,
0: I just really like the... <clears throat> up until the point where they end up meeting each other and becoming friends, and I even like that stuff. I, it's, it's my favorite stuff in Hardboiled too, is, like, when like the two of them that seem to be like yeah, at I, odds end up becoming friends. Um
1: Tony Leung is that character yeah. in kind of Hardwood.
0: Right. It's, but it, but I um but I like the stuff where it's like the cops like the detectives like chasing him. Right. <clears throat> and he's starting to get into his mind. It's like I love that thing where he's um like sitting in the chair, like smoking a cigarette, like thinking through how the killer would have how Jeffrey like would have like what would have happened in the room. Right. And he ends up, like, sliding back and pulling his gun uh-huh. out, just like Jeffrey did in, like, the previous scene, because he's, like, he's kind of, like, figured out, like, how it would work. Um, then he scares the shit out of his, like, detective friend, like, when he does it. But it's, like, I, I really like that kind of stuff a lot, of, like, the, the detective getting in the mind of, like, the killer and, like, kind of learning him and knowing, figuring out who he is and stuff like that. So right. by the time they meet, they do know each other in some ways. Like, um, they've they've thought about each other enough that they kind of know each other um and i i always like mark out to like things like that there's like elements of that and stuff like la confidential like you know sure. where it's like you have that whole time where it's like bud bud white and ed actually don't really talk or meet but it's like they know so much about each other that when they do like come together it's almost like they've known each other forever and <clears throat> i think that stuff's really cool yeah it i mean too? that's good
1: and the the whole thing with him like trying to understand how this guy could be a cold-blooded murderer but still like risk his own freedom and life to save the life of like the young girl and stuff i mean all that stuff is yeah is well done and i don't think it's like poorly plotted and it's definitely not poorly acted i just think that like the overall idea is just i don't know yeah
0: the um in terms of criticism the only thing i could really find on this cuz like i said it has a 98% from critics um the uh christian science monitor <laughs> called it a um pointless exercise in style uh, um and
1: yeah i don't i don't know really what if, to say if, about if, that if you're pulling out quotes from the christian science monitor you probably just need to say that it's universally acclaimed or something i don't know
0: yeah i they they um they surprise you sometimes, Christian Science Monitor. They have some good writers on staff um, <clears throat> that aren't like necessarily always what you think, right? <clears throat> but uh, uh, audiences claim that they feel no connection to the characters, um, which I think is weird. Uh, the v- plot is juvenile, like by by one audience member claims. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Like, but I couldn't really find a lot out there in terms of criticism.
1: Yeah, I'm just, um, I don't know. I don't see how you can't connect with the characters. Like yeah, I think it's really hard not to. Yeah. Like, they, they if, if anything, he might spend a little too much time, like, <laughs> getting you to know the characters. So, I don't know.
0: And making the characters, I think, really likable. Yeah. To your point, maybe one they sh- always shouldn't be. I mean, I, I think you really end up liking Jeffrey. Yes. You know, despite... You know and part
1: of that is shall you fetch just like natural charm right movies. agreed yeah
0: um okay so number four on your list is black rain and this is not the the michael douglas movie <laughs> black rain that also came out in 1989 this is um this is the showy uh Imamura movie yeah. um so it has a um, 85% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and 90% from audiences. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and what you liked about it so much?
1: So it's an examination of both the horrors of like the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and then the like, literal and figurative fallout that happened to the people that lived in those areas like afterwards. Um, the main crux of the storyline and like, I guess the present day of like the film um is the idea that there's these Japanese that were um suffering from radiation sickness and were kind of like pariahs in um society and this couple has uh what is she a niece that they've adopted because her parents are dead yeah um who's one I, I can't remember what the there's a Japanese word it starts with a T that you hear like 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 50 times in this movie For some reason I can't remember it Um she's one of these like pariahs Basically and They're trying to like help her get treatment So she can get better and still trying to help her find a husband So she can like move out and Um It's just a really horrifying Almost like Clinical look at One of the worst like man Made disasters in history Um I think that it's, I love the way that MMR films, um, I wonder if you remember, because you're, you were not a fan of some stuff that MMR did in uh, Vengeance is Mine, like we had conversations about that, right, when we watched that movie, and I was wondering like when I was watching it, so I'm going to ask you a question, um, I I love the way that MMR films terrible things with almost like a cold detachment to them. Where it's like... No, I th- I think there was... But I mean, there's a lot of stuff in
0: Vengeance's mind that I love, though, too. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I really... I, I like that movie overall. I had a couple of problems with it, but I really like that movie. This movie is not
1: that. My takeaway from our conversation about that movie was just about the ending. Um, right. Right. I, which I really dislike that freeze frame, right. like kind of like supernatural,
0: th- almost like ending. But... Um, but I, there's a lot of really cool stuff that he does in that movie that I really like. This movie, I think, what you're getting ready to reference is the idea that because he films with such like a kind of a detachment, like I had a trouble connecting with the characters in right. this to the point where it's like I understood it was it was just there's this really weird thing where it's like I'm watching it and I'm not connected to the characters, but everything that's happening to him is awful and sad and devastating. It's true. So it's like I feel bad while i'm watching it but not bad for anybody in particular right so it just made me feel
1: shitty without actually caring which is a really weird um place to be i mean i think that's an important part of the movie though then like making you feel more the abject horror and the aftermath of it rather than like pushing you down into, like, into the weeds with the characters where you feel, like, more... It's it's a really faithful adaptation of the book. Yeah. Ebusei... Um, fuck, I can't remember who wrote it. It's it's a really good book, too. Um, but a really faithful adaptation. But I don't know. Just, like, I, I love the beauty of it. Like, I love the way he shoots things. Um, certain scenes, especially, like, mid-destruction and then, like, in the aftermath that just are really...
0: Yeah, I mean, I think... I,
1: uh, Heavy, I guess. Yeah, I think, like, the first, like, the way he films everything in the first 20 minutes
0: is really well done. Um, and then it, like, becomes... Like, in there, it's, like, I felt, like, connected. And then it's, like, in the aftermath of, like, the bombing and all that kind of stuff. That's right. when I start feeling disconnected. And I don't remember that. Like, it, there, there's a detachment, but I don't remember feeling disconnected from the characters in Vengeance mind, which is my only other reference point with him um it's the yeah. only other thing that you've had me watch but uh there's a closeness at least in the camera in vengeance is where they're always on top of those characters and you're always seeing their faces right. and stuff and uh, there's a lot of side profile like medium shots in this and you know even like f- um long shots like at times where it's like full bodies and it, it's, it's really weird the way he like he like keeps away from them um and i maybe there's something to that with the idea of like since like it's almost like they're untouchable in some ways like maybe the cameras keeping a distance as well like maybe there's something to that but mm-hmm. i don't know i i don't know why he chose to do that
1: but um. well, that's an interesting question but i think it's a really important film and it's one of the one of the first movies that was like an honest like open look at something that in this country was celebrated as, like, turning the tide of the war. Sure. Um, and most movies you would see, like, on the subject or about World War II. With good reason, like, focus more on the American triumph as opposed to, like, what that triumph wrought. And I, I, I think it's yeah. really, like, powerful and impactful. Yeah, reading
0: criticism of the movie, I, I found that uh, things that I never really thought of before in terms of uh, the japanese reaction and stuff like that like to the bombing is uh i mean this, this movie I, I guess is fairly critical of the way the japanese reacted right in the aftermath and
1: well yeah how they treated each other sure themselves. right
0: um and that they're uh that they just kind of like this is uh, there was no real like fighting back against it it was just like this is the way we live our lives now and because of like the customs and stuff like that they just kind of like accepted like and and kept with the tradition and you know ended up treating each other really shitty like afterwards um so i yeah they brought up a couple ideas that i never thought about before because i've just never really been exposed to that but I found it interesting that we were talking about last week in 79, how many of those movies are countries coming to grips, like, you know, with, with war. Right. So we talked about Apocalypse Now, we talked about um, The Marriage of Maria Braun, we talked about The Tin Drum, like, and how all those movies in some ways are, like, you know, these filmmakers. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, in the like culturally, it's like countries coming to grips with World War II or the Vietnam War and like all these other things. And um, this 10 years later is doing something similar for Japan. And it's almost like, you know, part of the whole thing with this movie is the idea of like kind of this repression that forces them to keep like ignoring like what's actually right. happened to them, like the trauma that's happened there. And it's like the fact that it comes out ten years later, when all these other movies are coming out in seventy nine, this is coming out in eighty nine, and Emma Moore is finally like kind of holding up a mirror to to society. Well,
1: from what I understand, and I only know a little bit, just reading about um, uh, like um, Mishima and some other mm-hmm. like contemporaries from this time, I, there was almost like a re. Revisitation by, like, Japanese youth of, like, embracing that Empire of the Sun, mm. like, mindset, I think. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's why he felt like it was important to come back out and, like, say, like, this is why we condemn it and this is why we can't mm, maybe. be these that's people anymore. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And you think about, like, aside from some, some foreign movies, there really wasn't any... And I always, like, I'm going to equate this in terms of like how we view things in america but you know what is it schindler's list like a few years later is the first real movie about the holocaust made in the united states yeah that isn't like some exploitation movie about the holocaust with like half naked nazi women right um so it probably was just like a really difficult thing for people to come to face to face with
0: sure um yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I I see where it's important. I I'd have a hard, really hard time telling. I don't know who I would tell. Like, yeah, you should watch this movie. I don't know. like that. I know. Like, like um, you know, uh, just. But um, yeah, I just thought it was kind of like it wasn't. It's not that it was dull. It was just. It's, it's really clinical. hard to watch because it's so kind of painful right but then I also didn't really necessarily
1: like any of the characters and I don't think I'm supposed to like any like many of the characters I you think know? you're supposed to have a measure of empathy sure and sure. pity for right. the characters.
0: yeah but I mean that doesn't necessarily always connect you to characters in a in a, in a good way if that's all you have for sure them. like Um <clears throat> I'm not going to. The only criticism I have is from audiences, and it's just some guy that's an idiot. So, <clears throat> um, number three on your list is the Philip Noyce. Noyce? Noyce. I think you, said you said um, The Philip Noyce directed film Dead Calm. It stars Sam Neill, Nicole Kidman, and Billy Zane. It has an 82% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 63% from audiences. that's pretty crazy yeah that was surprising you want to tell us a little bit about the movie
1: and what you like about it so much um so sam neill plays a naval commander returning from whatever being on a tour to find that his son has been killed in an auto accident his wife is like gravely injured um flash forward months when she's recovered and they're out on um a sail, like a cruise around the, where are they? The Pacific. Um, they pick up pretty early on a, she's still like traumatized by the whole event of like losing her son in the car accident. They pick up a stranded man who comes off of like a much larger boat early on. Um, he spins them a tale that it's, everybody died of like whatever they call the, um, shit, whatever disease, whatever sickness it is. Um, botulism, I guess, from eating like bad, right, yeah. like canned product or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Neil's immediately suspicious, goes back to check it out. Billy Zane hijacks the boat and basically kidnaps Nicole Kidman, and then it's a game of cat and mouse between Kidman and Zane, where he's trying to dominate her and she's trying to let him think that she's being dominated so she can save her husband. Um, and then, you know, the man versus nature element of Sam Neill being stuck on the boat and trying to, like, stop the leak and get the boat moving so he can go and rescue his wife, um, just a really, like, nice, small, tense, psychological thriller, um, with some really uncomfortable scenes in it, especially from Billy Zane, who's just, like, I was telling you this the other day, we were talking about Billy Zane, and I can never look at Billy Zane as a hero because of Dead Calm, because to me, he's always just, like, a psychopath, psychopathic, like, rapist, um, yeah. It's so weird because I, I I think he's fantastic
0: in that uh, role that you actually you you mentioned his Twin Peaks role of John Justice Wheeler right and how you can never look at him as the kind of stand up like hero and like I think he's like perfect for that role right that. like
1: I see him in Titanic I'm like yeah that's 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 about right <laughs> right um, really great performances by him and Kidman um neil doesn't have nearly as much to do because most of his stuff is just silent like him like emoting visually Mm -hmm. um but still a good performance and again just a really tightly paced you know uncomfortable psychological thriller yeah this
0: is the first time i've seen this since probably like 1990 i think when my parents rented it on vhs or something when it came out i'm surprised they'll let you watch it they, they were so weird. It was so weird. It's like I wasn't allowed to watch Roadhouse, like that probably came out of VH Justice, because Roadhouse is an 89 movie. Yes. Um, but I, probably it probably was the same time period. I would have They would have rendered it. Like I wasn't allowed to watch Roadhouse because of the sex, but apparently I could watch this. <laughs> because it's just rape? Because it's just rape, right? right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they had real weird, like, you know, like things of like what it. But it wasn't graphic, I think, where the Roadhouse, like, scene is. Like I, the it, it's a, it's a it's a traditional like American mindset with a lot of people where it's like if like breasts are exposed you can't watch that but as long as like you know it doesn't matter whether it's like violent sex as long as you're not seeing like exposed bush or like you know breasts it's like everything's see, you fine. You see her breasts in the
1: in the sex scene. Yeah, I guess so. I, I several I times. I mean, it's 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 uncomfortable. Yeah. I think it is it, it, absolutely. Right, we'll get to that,
0: I think. Uh, There is some things I want to talk about with this movie, and that's one of them. But, uh, yeah, so, like, they were real weird about all that. So, yeah, I was allowed to watch this. Um, uh, My mom does not remember. I I brought it up to my mom because I was talking to her the other day and telling her. She called me in the middle of this, and I was like, yeah, you, like, you know, like, you and Larry, like, watch this or whatever. And she's like, I don't, I don't, I never watched that movie. And I was like, okay, Mom, like um i mean it's been 30 years but still like uh so yeah like uh, but i I have some i have some things about this movie here like but i've asked you some of this already but i think it needs to be talked about what's your feeling in this movie in terms of I, i i still don't know if i'm sold on like your idea of
1: why what's the point of the sun dying in the beginning of this movie it's just an elaborate setup to get them on the boat and to give them a reason to not go back. Basically. Like why they want us he wants them to stay out on the water. I think. Right. I think it's also supposed to make you empathize with Kidman. Thank you. Okay, go. Ahead. And that's, that's uh, what I was trying to get out of here. Understand like how difficult it is for her to overcome like these challenges. And that the motivation is that she can't lose the other most important person in her life. Right. In her husband. And that's why she can go to those extremes. Yeah. Um, because it's more about survival than it is about, like, I don't know you want to call it, like, personal protection or self-preservation, maybe, or whatever. Yeah. I. It seems from
0: reading the criticism that... So, so right. So, given that, like, it does make because it does seem controversial the more i've read the criticism at the time period of that sex scene and what we're talking about here is that she willingly has sex with the psychopath basically to buy herself time so right. she can figure out a way to defeat him eventually and <clears throat> um goes along with it pretend she's attracted to him like has sex with him and so, it's a really uncomfortable scene, but there's a couple shots specifically where it looks like she might actually be enjoying herself. Yeah. Uh, and, like, and I've seen, like, a number of reviewers talk about it and kind of question that scene particularly. But given what you're saying, if the sun, the death of the sun is the setup for her kind of being, like, a emotionally broken and... And it seems like there is some distance between husband and wife a little bit, like, emotionally. Um, like, there's, like, there's some distance in the beginning of that movie of her realizing that, like, she needs to, like, you know, invest in that relationship more than... So you're saying, like, that scene then becomes almost, like, powerful in the sense that it's, like, her making sure that she
1: survives in order to be... right. I mean, I don't think that she's enjoying it at all. I think that she, the scenes, that... the what you're talking about, where she seems like she enjoys it, are times where Billy Zane is like acutely aware of what her reaction to the situation is. I, I, it's. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. I, I believe that. No, you can believe what you want.
0: I just I don't. It's, 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 he's not looking at her necessarily in those scenes, like. That they're that they're talking about. I'm not even sure if I buy that she's necessarily enjoying it, but there I can see
1: where people are saying that there are certain looks that it could be. But there's only really the one sex scene, yeah, right. And then everything else is like him like directly looking at her, and I don't know, but
0: I do think it's an important conversation, like just to have about that movie because like it's it's one of those few instances where a couple the interpretation of a couple shots. To some degree, does determine the direction of that movie in terms of like how you think about it. Yeah. And 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 if she and if and but it's like I don't even know if it's as complex as that. Like even if you go down the the line of thought that like she is like and does enjoy it at times, it's like it gets into this really uncomfortable conversation about sex and violence and it, it, very much the conversation we were having about history of violence um a month or two ago. Where people are made very uncomfortable by that sex scene Where it's very kind of violent And it's a little forceful But she ends up enjoying it And it made people extremely uncomfortable To where they walked out of the theater when I was watching it right. And it's something similar here um, I don't know how how different it is But that's only if you interpret those things
1: that way Yeah, I mean, I just think that it's meant to Just make you as uncomfortable as possible when you're watching it and to understand that the only reason she's doing it is to save, you know, her husband. Like, I don't know. Mm. Um last thing.
0: The reshoot apparently of the end of this movie. How do you feel about the very end of it?
1: With him getting shot in the mouth with the flare? Yeah. Um Like
0: after it's like he's seen he might be dead and it's ambiguous
1: and It's a little much. Like I I think I said this to you. A couple weeks ago that like it takes a good believable villain and kind of turns him into michael myers for a second like this like how do we kill him how can he stay down because he's been like kicked off the boat and adrift for at least a few days at that point and he was already shot through the um well like the upper torso with sure. a spear, spear gun so right. i don't know I'm not, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, like, the very, very end of the movie. Like, I even... Yeah, I don't know, I'm just... It's it's the one thing that kind of brings the movie down a little bit for me. Otherwise, what I think is, like, a really great... And one of my favorite, like, psychological thrillers of all time, but...
0: There's a couple people that gave negative reviews <clears throat> based on that ending alone.
1: Yeah, I can see that.
0: Um, The, other, the only other criticism that comes up that I see routinely and the the one that articulates it probably the most is Dustin how or how from the washington post um he says that there's two like i think he acknowledges kind of that they might not be extremely important uh, in the review but at the same time that there's these unanswered questions from the movie like uh what happened on the first boat you know and why did it happen don't necessarily get full full clear answers
1: yeah i i think that's part of the magic of the movie though, was like not knowing yeah, Like you know that he did something and right. to the point where he like beheaded one of these women but you never know exactly what it is so it always kind of like leaves in question how far is he willing to go mm-hmm. with her specifically so it adds just an element of like so you, like, I think it heightens the, the yeah, suspense. Yeah, it, it, it heightens the danger that you feel Nicole Kidman is in. Because it's the unknown. Right. And that's why they have it, like, continuously playing, like, as Sam Neill's trying to fix the boat. Right. It's just, a, like, it's almost, like, I don't know, like, a subliminal thing where you're supposed to just have it in your mind all the time that yeah. this guy's just nuts. I mean, it's not subliminal, obviously, at all, but, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah, I've seen, actually, uh, Rita Kemsley of Washington Post, like, su- actually, like, didn't like zane like it said zane was fine in it but is that uh that
1: the character itself like lacked all any subtlety like at all sure he's not meant to have subtlety there i don't think i mean he's meant to be uh almost like a boogeyman kind of
0: yeah see and I, i i think zane's really effective in this and so is kidman i think yes i my and Neil's fine, like, but it's, like, Neil's the one that I think is, like, lacking, like, although Neil reminds me of, it, it's a very 1940s role, like, that role yeah. of um, of yeah, John Ingram, really like, he, you know, of, of the military guy who, like, you know, and still is kind of like a military guy, even, like, in civilian life,
1: and he plays that, like, 1940s, like, type really right. well, like... Well, because when he realizes he's stranded on the boat, he immediately jumps into like plotting the course and looking at like the waves and the yeah. tide. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's like that's his thing that like he knows better than anyone. So right. that's the thing that's going to save him is that knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, he doesn't. He, to me, he's not really given a lot to do. Like
0: necessarily. Other no, it's than, true. Other than fix things, like like fix fix the boat, and so I don't know how much you really could do with the role, but. But I'm just—I'll be honest. I'm not a Sam Neil guy. Like I, I don't really.
1: Yeah. What's Sam Neil's best that. role? Jurassic Park.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is like that's where he shows maybe the like most humanity at times, and kind of like sometimes breaks that. Yeah, but still playing just like a clinical stoic face kind of guy, right? Yeah, 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 but it's like he breaks it a little bit with the kids and stuff like that. Yeah. Give him a little bit more humanity, I suppose. Yeah. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to number two. Okay, so number two on your list is Heathers, directed by Michael Lehman. Starring Winona Ryder Veronica Sawyer, Christian Slater as J.D., Kim Walker as Heather Chandler, and then the incomparable Glenn Shaddix as the priest. Um, Heaven's uh, 93% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and 83% from audiences. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about the movie and what you like about it so much?
1: Uh, so the movie focuses on... Um, A high school in Ohio where there's a clique Of popular girls Known as the Heathers Because their first name is all Heather um, With a fourth of Winona Ryder Who's like the Kind of like brainy um, I don't know I don't know what you call her Like soul of the group sort of Um, Not really Super into the idea of like The exclusionary tactics that like The main Heather, Heather one who's sort of her best friend, practices. Um, Christian Slater's character comes to town and sort of, through his, like, kind of James Dean charm, allows Winona Ryder to sort of break from the Heathers group, um, leading to the murder of a number of people, um, which are framed as suicides, which leads to... Suicide becoming like a popular thing, um, including a song called "Suicide Don't Do It" uh, by some teen like band, which is like the number one song in the country. Um, it's a dark comedy. Uh, it's one of the most, I think, like even if it's in, even in its extreme and like satirical nature, one of the most honest looks at like the the culture of like the clique in high school. And what it means to be, like, someone who's accepted by the popular kids and someone who's, like, an outsider. Um, Really, like, wickedly funny and brutally, like, honest. And the idea that, like, when you die, your sins are kind of, like, overlooked. Um, especially like, I guess, dying young, um, people kind of retcon your entire life at that point. Um, one of the, the funniest scenes in the movie is, uh, the two jocks, um, Ram and, uh, Steve, I guess. I can't remember his yeah. name. Um, who are lured into the woods with the promise of a threesome by Winona Ryder and then murdered by her and J.D. Um, and framed to make it look like they were in a gay tryst and they committed suicide because they couldn't be together. Um, with the thing that cements the fact that they were gay, that they have mineral water in their bag. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's a really well-made, really funny, um, briskly paced comedy. Uh, was not like super successful at the time box office wise, but became kind of a cult classic and I think has grown to really be appreciated um, over time. Kind of a dark counterpart to stuff like Sixteen Candles and Sure. Pretty in Pink, because it really follows the same the same basic ideology as those movies, The Breakfast Club. It's they're yeah. all like basically the same movie. It's just that this is the extreme, like satirical version of you know, that same Ugly, not not even ugly duckling. Just like I don't know.
0: Yeah, having this is the first time I've seen watch Heather's probably in close to twenty years. I would say, and watching it this time, I guess maybe it's just the perspective you have, getting a little older and like looking back at the time period historically. But I, I actually think this is a really maybe one of the most important Gen X movies. That are that's out there, because it bridges the what you're talking about, like that feel good, John Hughes esque, right? Um, wrong side of the tracks, you know, poor versus rich, you know, clickiness uh, of those movies, but jumps into the dark comedy of the 1990s, which becomes prevalent. So the dark comedy of things like Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino sure. and all those things that become really prevalent and has those hints of, uh, has the violence in it that becomes prevalent in the 1990s. And it really is kind of like a, like the, the transition from the, I think still maybe slight, well, it's, and we've always talked about John Hughes and it's weird cause he's a boomer making these kind of Gen X movies. And it's almost like he still is maintaining that optimism that really, to some degree, isn't there among that generation. And this is really one of the first true Gen X movies that comes along and
1: is actually looking at it from that perspective of just kind of, you know... there's still some optimism in this movie at the end. I mean, even after um, he dies and she she comes back in and she's... um, God, what was her name? Martha or something like that. I can't, I remember, can't remember what they yeah, call her. Yeah. Um you know, like rekindling a friendship with this person she wasn't allowed to be friends with mm-hmm. because they were overweight and right. unattractive. Sure. And, <clears throat> like that's how she's gonna run the school now because she's the top dog. Right. Um I mean, it's it it's a whole it's it's actually to your point, like that it really is kind of like a quintessential Gen X movie. It, it it is sort of like one of the early condemnations of like the Boomer ideology, where one of the most ridiculous and ineffectual characters in the movie is the hippie art teacher, who wants everyone to have like kind of a like a love in right in the right. gym to sort of celebrate like the idea that suicide is a choice that you make and like what 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 is it like? This is one of the most important decisions you'll make in your life to kill yourself or not? <laughs> right. Um I mean, there's the the dialogue in this movie is just like ridiculously good and kind sure. of a kind of a predecessor to the stuff like um i mean not in like a direct sense but stuff like like aaron sorkin and things like gilmore girls where it's these people who are like always witty and always like have the right thing to say and mm-hmm. you know even like they're the way they shorten words and um is kind of like leads into i i i think the way that you know like teenagers and dialogue is written like throughout the 90s
0: oh yeah it's like joss whedon like yeah and the way he writes dialogue for buffy and stuff like that is directly from this movie right I think. like
1: yeah he's he's obviously influenced by the stuff in heathers yeah um so it's really really funny lines like the i love my dead gay son mm-hmm. um the fuck me gently with a chainsaw i mean there's a lot of really <sighs> yeah really good stuff in this movie and the performances are amazing and oh that. yeah yeah um, and it's it's funny, too, because, like, for being, like, dark satire, they still try... Th- there still is an effort to humanize all of the characters. Like, Heather 1, even though she's, like, a monster, you still, like... She's only doing the things that she's doing because she cares about how people perceive her. Sure. You know, not because she's, like truly, like, some kind of, like, wicked, awful person, even though she is an awful person. Mm-hmm. And then, in, you know, after she dies, well, after they they kill her because she drinks Drano or whatever, mm-hmm. Um, when uh, owner Rider opens her locker, like, there's the picture of the two of them, you know, that obviously she cared about this person mm-hmm. and she did consider her, her best friend, even if she wasn't, I don't know, whatever, comfortable enough, like, openly admitting those things yeah. as, like, a sign of weakness, but... Yeah, just um, yeah. In some ways, that's the lesson of this movie: is to stop caring about what other people think. Right. And that's that. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the important point. Yeah. That everybody can just exist, just being themselves. But sure.
0: It's like, well, every there's nothing. It's all fake. If you if you give a fuck, right? Like, and and it's signified by those hilarious conversations that are just basically the same conversation over with her parents parents, which i which makes me laugh every time because it's like there's just it's just lines that it's like lines of dialogue that you just say right every single time
1: what is it it's like i just don't understand something it's it's two things he's reading the paper (laughs) and drinking coffee maybe yeah and she's like what's well, because you're an idiot dad oh, right. <laughs> oh
0: you too yeah right and it's just like the same conversation over and over and yeah. over and there's this like um kind of like inherent fakeness to like at least they show this inherent fakeness in like the boomer culture i think um and how that like ends up like influencing especially i think rich society more like sure. in terms of like the kids themselves and then they just kind of repeat the same
1: mistakes over and over. It's also an interesting counterpoint to um, a movie like Society, which is the same year. Sure. Which is, in essence, like the same idea that... Yeah. The wealthy and attractive are always going to have more opportunity and more power than the right. poor. Um, but, like, to a much more illogical extreme in terms of, like, the body horror and... Sure. Whatever of society. But, yeah, it's it's... It is really fascinating to look at this movie as, like, the bookend of the 1980s where you had, like, all these movies that were about these themes. But, you know, like, you have, um, you know, there's no, you know, Judd Nelson walking across the football field with his, like, fist right. raised high. Yeah. Because, like, all these disparate people have come together and found, like, friendship. Yeah. It's Christian Slater, like, getting blown up. Right, and her like smoking a cigarette, like while he does it. Right, like you know,
0: yeah, like no, I mean it's like this. It, you're right. I mean it's the perfect thing to cap off that decade, and it's the perfect thing to act as the precursor for all the other Gen X movies that come after. Because it's like, what's the what's the next things like what like reality bites singles, like you know all those sure. things. It's like it's like this is the end, like this is the end of high school, and now like all everything that comes after it is early twenties Gen X movies. A lot of them
1: yeah and like those people like specifically to those points reality bites and singles um people that are in therapy people that are coping with their problems through like addictions people that are lost and unable to connect i mean i think that's what makes um uh what's the first before movie before sunrise right right what makes that movie so powerful is just this idea of like these two people that are kind of lost and finding each Mm -hmm. other um, and even though that's a pretty hopeful movie, um, it still is that same vein of like. Sure, and
0: I, that's one of the, that's one of the many names for the generation is the lost generation. I mean, yeah, like mm-hmm. how do you
1: how do you find identity? How do you define yourself? Yeah, um, and it just like this movie does it in a way that's you know the idea that like your identity, even if you've defined it as something, can be redefined by people after you're gone. Or by people, like, while you're there, still through their perceptions. Mm -hmm. Dump truck. Martha dump truck. That's what they call it. Martha dump truck. Yeah. Um, And even the people that would normally, in, like, the John Hughes movie, be, like, sort of the the protagonists, um, you know, they've got the guy that's, like, obviously a parody of uh, Anthony Michael Hall from um, Breakfast Club, who's, like, the studious nerd who cares Mm -hmm. about his grades. Right. But he's just as vapid as, you know, they're all, like, just as empty and meaningless as, like, the popular people who are, like, very directly, like, vapid and only concerned about appearance. Yeah. But they're the smartest ones in the school. Like, the the Daily Quiz, like, all that stuff is much more intelligent and interesting than anything that, like, you know, the other groups are doing. They just have the power of their popularity to right yeah and the other thing
0: is i i I think this does put effectively put an end to the john Hughes type that that, those type of movies because i think it upends them because it takes it's so extreme in like going into a fantasy world and then
1: everything you see in the 90s after that that's kind of gen x is realistic through like 95 96 and then there's like a sway back to the direction of um she's all that can't hardly wait uh 10 things I hate about you like they they definitely come back into like the even though there's like a more more of a snarkiness to it at that point yeah like, they do come back more to the traditional yeah. right they take out the boobs they take out the overt sex right and they add like that kind of mix of like ennui and mm-hmm. sarcasm right but for that time period like you know Heather's is like the cap on yeah. that whole feeling of like there's anything good about like being in school because i right. mean like for most right, of us yeah. school was like a terrible experience sure during this time mm-hmm. and like you were always dealing with bullies and like uncertainty about like how people viewed you mm-hmm. and like bad right like self-image and stuff and i mean for me personally i didn't even get out of that until i was in like high school oh yeah that was that
0: that was that was there throughout high school i mean it yeah i don't know it it wasn't wasn't quite as bad as you see in the movies that when where i went to school but it was still there
1: always like i mean it's funny though because i noticed so this is maybe the sixth time i've seen heathers Mm -hmm. i would say yeah um it might be a little more (laughs) than that but i would like conservatively six times And I've noticed the past couple times, I really dislike Christian Slater's character much earlier in the film than I ever did. I agree with that. And I know the first time I saw it, like, I was on board with Christian Slater all through the movie. Sure. Um, And, like, as I get older, it's less and less where I, like, view him as any kind of sympathetic. And this time, like, as soon as he comes on screen, I'm like, oh, man, this this asshole. Like, this guy's the worst. Yeah. And he really is just, like, the worst example of all of them. Sure Sure yeah. And not even as bright as he gives himself credit for it. Like definitely not as bright as Winona Ryder Right yeah Veronica's much smarter than he is Yeah he's just yeah. um He's that's just a, a psychopath That's favorite. another Whedon
0: reference actually that he uses from Heathers Now that I think about it is the bomb in the basement In the um Xander episode, Zeppo Oh right yeah Like that whole, that whole thing's like taken from Heathers too So I just thought of that. All that's right, an interesting point. Yeah, like it's really funny it. though. Ebert doesn't doesn't get the movie. I think he gave it two out of five or two out of four stars. Yeah, um, but Ebert, <laughs> Ebert, what, what quotes did I pull from? He he doesn't understand it, um, but he says it inspires thought and has the ability to shock, which makes it worth considering. <laughs> but he he admits fully that like he just doesn't get it, and that's. Right. I
1: mean, I don't think he's supposed to, honestly. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. He's pretty canny about that stuff. It's it's funny the stuff that Ebert that like, goes over Ebert's head. Yeah, I mean, the guy that wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls should understand the dark satire of this movie is sure. just something that. And doesn't for, relate to his life experience but she'll be able to see it but it,
0: it had, did relate to it because remember like he he talks in a review we did like early on in the podcast where there's a review about oh what was it most depressing movies um oh welcome to the doll welcome house. to the dollhouse he talks about right being like kind of being bullied in school and stuff like that
1: and yeah like so it's interesting that he doesn't get this he, it's probably because when a writer spends a third of the movie being one of the bullies Mm-hmm. I mean for being like the smartest kid and the girl that like was at one point it, you know it's it, it's it's equivalent to like um Lindsay's character in uh, Freaks and Geeks right yeah like the the girl that was like super smart but then like kind of dropped out of it to like pursue like popularity or friends or whatever um even though Veronica's parents and this movie sort of support the idea that she's like popular and like with the popular kids Mm -hmm. because that's their whole life too is just this like vacant appearance Yeah, but yeah it's a really good movie it's really funny yeah yeah I think it still holds up really well Um, yeah I do too outside of the first movie on this list and a couple of the other ones that we talked about that didn't make the list um, one of the movies that I think is still relevant today yeah yeah absolutely Okay, so number one on your
0: list uh, is Do the Right Thing, directed by Spike Lee, starring the now late Danny Aiello, um, Richard Edson, John Turturro, Ozzie Davis, Ruby Dee, Giancarlo Esposito, Bill Nunn, Um, you can go on and on. Has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 90% from audiences. Uh, The caveat to this is we've really talked about this movie two different times already, on the podcast we talked about it on episode 24 which was the best of spike lee um third man series with our friend aiden boyer and then we also talked about it in episode 39 uh this past summer in the top five summer movies so we've uh talked about this movie extensively so far so i don't think we really need to like do a summary probably at all but um in the let me ask in the context of 1989 why do you think this film is number one of that year? And, like, what's the importance of it during that time period? And then what's the importance of it? You just mentioned, like, the idea it's still ho- like, right. it's Still important today. Like, what's the importance of it today, do you think, still?
1: So, first and foremost, I think that Do the Right Thing is one of the most important American films ever made and definitely maybe, like, top five of, like, the latter half of the 20th century. Um... I think that it's its take on race and responsibility and gender and just life in general is, like, still urgent and relevant. I can't even imagine, like, how, <clears throat> like, mind-blowing this movie must have been to see in 1989. Because completely different. Like, if you look at everything else that came out this year, like, even the stuff that's critically acclaimed. Like, you know, you brought up, like, My Left Foot. Mm-hmm. Great movie, but, like, in terms of its, like, immediate social relevance, like, nothing compared to Do The Right Thing. You know, and it's somebody who, you know, a director who was, like, distinctly involved in, like, I don't know, like, racial politics and, like, sort of, kind of almost, like, crafted the image of, like, black America for a time period. Or at least, like, knew what that image was and was able to present it sure. in an effective way. I mean, it's, right. it's... Like, you change, like, some clothes and you change, like, some plot devices and it's... You could make this movie today and it would still be an important movie. Right. Um, <clears throat> and it still stands up. Like, it still is, like, an eminently entertaining film. Like, for all of the important, like, ideology that lies inside it, like, you still can just watch it and be entertained by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a great great performances like all across the board absolutely um <clears throat> so yeah so Ayello, is a strange guy because he's a guy that you think about like as just being you've always thought of him as an actor like he's always just been there and when you look through his filmography like he really has only a few like pivotal pivotal roles that actually like kind of matter in it's the grand true. scheme of things right and most of his stuff is just, like, really low-rent, like, B-level... B mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, he plays an Italian heavy or something. Right. So, I mean, yeah, he gets a start in the Godfather movies. Right. Godfather, too. Right.
0: <clears throat> Where he ad-libs the line, Michael Corleone says hello, um, which was not in the script, and he just said it. But uh, he's appeared on... Us talking about this movie before, he also appeared a little bit, um, which we didn't really spend much time discussing him, but he appears in episode 49 of Top 5 Psychological Horror Movies, because he's in Jacob's Ladder. Right. And he th- those are the only two that we've talked about on any of the, of the podcast so far, but um, in terms of his filmography, he um, he's in Fingers, like after the Godfather stuff. Right. Uh, Purple Rose of Cairo. Um, I don't care about that movie. Um once upon a time in America he plays the police chief um in that Radio Days um Radio Days is a good movie Moonstruck is a pretty pivotal role for him overall uh Harlem Nights and then um Leon the Professional um he has a role in but yeah like you know you look at him and it's like he's a guy who's there but when you really, like, look at, like, what he's done, it's not, um, he's in a lot of good movies, but he's always had small roles in those movies, and this is probably his most prominent role that he's ever given, I would say, um, is Sal and do the right thing. Yeah, that's probably true.
1: I mean, he's... Certainly his most critically praised. Yes. Um, he's a guy that you immediately recognize, that you always just know who Danny Aiello is. mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah I mean like i trying to think what I think is like Aside from this like what his real Defining roles are um, He's really good in the professional but it's brief Sure it's brief yeah um,
0: I would say Moonstruck honestly Like he has like a slightly meteor role And he's really Yeah that's true Really effective in that movie um, but he, I, Ielo's some, a guy who, um, I just think usually always brought like a humanity to the character that he was playing. Like it, you actually felt like it was a real person Yes, that you're like, that you're watching on the screen. And I think that was like probably his biggest gift is like, no matter what the character was, whether it was a good guy, a villain, um, whether it's like, you know,
1: a slightly different doofus husband or whether it's like you know uh he's definitely got that hang dog look to him like throughout his entire career right like kind of droopy jowls like Mm -hmm. long face baggy eyes always a receding hairline Mm -hmm. i mean he's very very identifiable like from the outset sure and a really good like visual actor where his performances come through a lot with the way he moves his body, the expressions he makes. Sure. Um,
0: it's a very an Italian-American performer. performer yeah. You know, I mean, absolutely, yeah. And I, I think he, he always imbued uh, whatever character he was playing with this uh, sense that it was, um, there was a real person underneath of it, despite whatever their decision-making was or their morals were. Like, right. he still felt like it was a real person. Yeah. Um, he loses out this year, so... Uh, The Boston, Chicago, and L.A. critics all give him Best Supporting Actor. Mm. Um, And for both the Golden Globes and the Oscars, he loses out on those awards uh, to Denzel Washington in Glory. Okay. So, the list of Oscar nominees for Best Supporting Actor that year are Martin Landau in Crimes and Misdemeanors, Marlon Brando in A Dry White Season, Dan Aykroyd in Driving Miss Daisy, Denzel Washington and Glory, and Danny Aiello and Do the Right Thing. How do you... How do you rank those performances?
1: (sighs) Give me that list again.
0: So, Denzel and Glory. Right. Aiello and Do the Right Thing. Right. Ackroyd, Driving Miss Daisy. Okay. Brando and A Dry White Season. And then Landau and Crying to the Meters.
1: Um... Ayello first mm-hmm. uh, Brando last I'm not a fan of Dryway Season 2 Yeah so. sure um, That's really tough Landau's probably That's a really good performance <clears throat> Maybe second. I don't know. That's really difficult. I don't really, I mean, I remember liking Ackroyd and Driving Miss Daisy, but I don't really remember his performance. Like, I can't, I can't call it to mind and, like, hear his voice and hear mm-hmm. him, like, saying things. So, that's probably fourth then, I guess. Okay. Okay. I don't know. That's a tough list. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems to me, it's like,
0: Denzel's really good in Glory, but it just seems to me that, like, this is definitely, I I, I should have won the Oscar for this movie, I think. Um, With, with and there's not much doubt in my mind about that.
1: I agree with it. Um, But he sort of pulled back from acting. Not after this. Well, not I just didn't really pull back. I don't know. Yeah,
0: he's just it's just that he he's just in small bit roles and everything for the rest of career. And now once you get past two thousand, like he's it's 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 a lot of like B C level right.
1: movies that he's in, which is really weird. But well, you know, the gangster movie kind of moved in a different direction. It's so. true.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay. Um. So any final thoughts on this? What yeah. about final thoughts on nineteen eighty nine?
1: what did i say like it's fine you know it's it's fine there's aside from do the right thing and black rain and I, I mean all all five movies on this list like are good movies and there was other good movies this year but do the right thing is the only one that i think i've even put on like a top 20 list to be honest yeah. with you like
0: well it's a it's a pretty wild claim that you said like maybe top five movies of like you said the latter half of the 20th yeah i think it's
1: really important
0: so just going back to the spike lee podcast where you picked he got game
1: as your top spike lee movie right i'd rather watch he got game than do the right thing
0: so that's more of
1: like favorite Uh as opposed to the best. it always is okay i just i i think that he got game is a really good movie and i think it's has got some great performances, like even Ray Allen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I like the narrative better because I feel like it's a little more focused. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Do The Right Thing, it's kind of just... Yeah. It's not unfocused, but it's got so many different threads that it's trying to weave in. Sure. <clears throat> and he's not telling a story as much as he's, like, showing you vignettes of life right. inside the city. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, if you've... I can't imagine, like, loving film and never seeing Do the Right Thing. But if you've never seen it, you should definitely watch it. Right. Um, and I don't know that I would say that about any other movie from 89. Yeah, I, you're right. I think uh, my
0: final assessment of, like, 89, I think, would be is that there's a lot of good movies. But ultimately, they're, there's not a lot of great movies. Right.
1: They're, they're fine. Yeah. They're fine. <laughs> um, Now, 99... Ninety nine is an exciting year. Like ninety nine is surprising in the number of great movies. Right. My initial ninety nine list is like close to twenty movies. Right. And that was done like just easily, just like almost right off the top of my head. Like I just like once I saw the list of what came out that year, mm-hmm. it was like all right, this, 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 <clears throat> and a couple even that probably could have made a list or you know you probably could have extended ninety nine to the top ten and it would have been um still easy to do. Sure. Yeah, 99
0: is a much more important year than I ever thought it was. Yeah, um, yeah I'm uh, excited
1: to do that podcast next week. Yeah.
0: Okay, um, so that's the podcast night, everybody. Uh, if Remember, if you have any ideas for next year as we're plotting things out, you can email us um, at two guys 5 movies at gmail.com. You can also contact us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Thank you for all the downloads recently, especially for the 1979 podcast. Um, It's doing really well right now. Uh, Other than that, everybody have a good weekend, and thank you for listening. Yep, have a Merry Christmas.